Please open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading this morning at verse number 22. Acts 2, verse 22, you may follow along on the screen behind me, but uh, I will read them aloud. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. By the way, brothers and sisters, that's us. (laughs) We are the ones who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Lord, Lord, we ask for your spirit to come now. He is here. He fills every cosmic square inch of this universe. But we ask that he would come now in a very special way. Lord, in this moment... On April the 4th, 2021, open the eyes of our heart to see the glory of a incarnate, of a crucified, of a risen, ascending, and reigning Christ. In the pages of Scripture, in the words of this text this morning, for His glory and for your kingdom's sake, In his name, amen. You may be seated. This past week, I sat in, I sat in my office, just kind of staring at a blank computer screen, wondering what in the world do I say to this people gathered here in this sanctuary on Easter Sunday. And there's usually a larger than normal crowd on Easter, and there's always this temptation that most pastors and most churches feel to put on an impressive service. Millions, maybe even billions today of people have gathered together all over the world, even right now, with you here for Easter. And many of those churches will put their best foot forward. Some perhaps employing some rather unconventional methods in order to put out a memorable Easter service a few years ago in the great state of Texas. A mega church made the news because they were giving away literally, this is true, you can find this on the internet, I didn't make this up, they were giving away literally dozens of cars, couches, and big screen TVs to visitors on Easter Sunday. Friends, if you are a visitor here, please don't look in the parking lot for a new car. In many churches today, the music will be a little louder. 
lights a little brighter unless they, they turn them off. Lots of churches are doing that these days. The preacher will be a little more engaging, perhaps even a little more positive and encouraging, maybe even a little more funny than usual. But here at Park, we're not giving away cars, TVs. We're not giving away couches. We're not trying to put on a show, and I'm certainly not going to try to wow you with my eloquence, my preaching, or tell a bunch of funny jokes. We are doing this morning, as I've already alluded to several times, what we do every Lord's Day. We are here to worship and proclaim the risen Jesus, who is not risen just once a year, friends. He is risen every single day. So I don't want any of us to to leave here today just thinking, oh, what a beautiful Easter service that was. Now let's go get dinner and take pictures. I want us to leave this morning by God's sovereign grace, having encountered a crucified and risen Christ. Friends, I want to do for you in Pennsville in 2021, what the Apostle Peter did for those hearing his voice in Acts chapter 2. He simply gave them Jesus. It had been 50 days since the resurrection. And the city of Jerusalem was now filled with Jews who had gathered to celebrate a festival called the Feast of Weeks. We know it as the Feast of Pentecost. The disciples were there in Jerusalem, having just been filled with the promised Holy Spirit. And Peter, the very same disciple who had denied even knowing the Lord Jesus three times just weeks earlier, This man now stood up before a captive audience in Jerusalem and preached the first sermon recorded in the history of the New Testament church. You read it, Acts chapter 2. This is it. This is the first, you know, we talk about being gospel-centered in our day. This is the first gospel-centered, Christ-centered sermon in the history of the Christian church. And friends, he didn't preach about prosperity and health. He didn't preach about God's wonderful plan for your life or how to develop your self-esteem. He didn't preach about social justice or any of this stuff that the church is obsessed with today. The apostle Peter That day, preached Jesus Christ. He preached a particular Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, the authentic Jesus of history, not the Jesus of the History Channel, not the Jesus of National Geographic or the Jesus of social media memes. Verses 22, excuse me, 23, 32, and 36, Peter calls him this Jesus. 
And friends, I want us this morning to meet, to encounter, to experience this Jesus in this passage here on Easter Sunday and see first of all that He is the Jesus that we killed. He is the Jesus that we killed. Do you feel a resistance right now in your heart, friends? Does that claim seem a little radical to you? That we, you, everyone breathing oxygen in this building today, you and me killed Jesus. Verse 22, men of Israel. Men, women, boys and girls of Pennsville. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and with wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You see, we know this about Jesus. We know who he is. We can deny him all we want to. We know him. This Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, I crucified, and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter, this wild and crazy disciple, he grounds the identity of the risen Christ in a real historic person. Jesus of Nazareth. From a real historical village in a real historical nation on a real planet. This Jesus, he says, he's not a myth or a legend. Friends, don't believe the skeptics. He is a flesh and blood man of history and he lived and walked the dirty streets of Nazareth in first century Israel. His undeniable works proved that he was sent and anointed in an unusual way by God. He preached the kingdom of God and he called people to repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Mark 1.15, he went about preaching. Now is the time, repent and believe the gospel. Yet his own people hated him for it and they wanted him dead. So much that Peter says that they were complicit with the Romans in his crucifixion and death. That's what he says, verse 22 and 23. You yourselves killed him at the hands of lawless men. They were just as guilty as the Romans who stripped him naked, beat him nearly to death, and then nailed him to a wooden cross. And friends, so are we. We are complicit in that murder. 
Peter addressed the Jews gathered in Jerusalem that day, but his words implicate every human being who has ever lived, including every single one of us here today. Forget your self-righteousness. Drop it. Leave it. We are all murderers. And we need to understand that Jesus did not go to the cross to give us a reason to dress up and take pictures once a year. Friends, He went to the cross because of sin. Sin. You see, our world was created without sin. Imagine that, right? We can't. We can't imagine a world without sin. Our first parents... I'm talking about two real and historic people. Don't believe the skeptics, friends. They were as real as you and me. Adam and Eve, they believed the lies of that ancient serpent. And they turned on their Creator from the very beginning in Eden. They wanted to live their way instead of God's way just like you and me. Their disobedience plunged our perfect and pristine world into fallenness where sin, suffering, and death would now rule and reign. But, if you were here Friday night, you know the significance of that word. But God. In Genesis 3.15, (laughs) He began to weave a scarlet thread of redemption into the fabric of human history. And He promised that one would come who would crush the head of that lying serpent. And He would undo all the mess that we had made. That Redeemer was this Jesus that Peter was speaking of here in Acts 2. He was the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 5 says, The Son of God has appeared to take away sins. And so that cosmic event on Calvary's hill outside of the city walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, was the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. To glorify Himself by redeeming His fallen creation. He came to save us. Peter says in verse 23, This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This couldn't have played out any other way than it did. This was God's sovereign, redemptive plan all along. But friends, we are wholly responsible for it. He came because of sin, because of our sin, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the sin of our parents, our grandparents, because of the sin of our little children sitting in this sanctuary this morning. Friends, we nailed Jesus to that cross that day. We did it. 
Every cruel word that has ever come out of our mouths, every lustful thought, every click on those internet porn sites, every envious and greedy imagination, every time we've taken God's holy name in vain or texted it, OMG. Every self-righteous thought, every young people, disrespectful word to our parents, every secret thing done behind closed doors that we thought no one else knew about, every time we valued something above God, these were the nails that pierced his body. It was our sin that held him there. The 18th century American pastor, Jonathan Edwards, you know him here at this Park Bible Baptist Church. We talk about him a lot. He preached that infamous sermon, that famous sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards says this. The sin of mankind was that which slew Christ, for he bore our sins. It was our sin that stood against him. This was the enemy that was so cruel to him that nailed him to the cross, that pierced his side, that let out his heart's blood. We who have sinned, Edward says, that he came into the world to redeem, we are the crucifiers of Christ. Stop blaming Jews. Stop blaming Romans. Stop blaming people that lived 2,000 years ago. Stop pretending like Jesus died for everybody else's sin but ours. This Jesus, dear friends, is the Jesus that we killed. Secondly, in this passage we see this Jesus is the Jesus that God raised. That God raised. Verse 24 says, God raised him up. That's why we're here this morning. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. Friends, imagine this. Death's impossible task was to contain the Son of God. It didn't work. It couldn't work. Peter says it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now he's speaking of the twelve disciples at that point, the, the original eleven, and then the one who replaced Judas, the betrayer. They had put their eyes on the risen Christ. They were witnesses, but friends, we are witnesses by faith. We know He was raised. Every human being, the law of God is written upon our hearts, we know instinctively. Verses 24 through 28, the Apostle Peter, he quotes from the Bible, (laughs) believe it or not. Imagine a preacher quoting from the Bible. He quotes from Psalm 16 in which King David, whose tomb 
is marked in the city of Jerusalem till this to this day. King David prophetically spoke of Christ's confidence and certain hope that his death would not be final. You see, friends, Jesus Christ went to the cross knowing that it would not be the end for him. Through the physical pain, the nails in his hands, the crown of thorns on his head, the cat of nine tails that was used to beat him, that Roman penal whip, leather with stone, glass, and rock. Through the agony of bearing the sins of all those who would ever believe, through the suffering under the hot and holy wrath of His Father for sins that were not His own, friends, there was never any doubt in the soul of Jesus Christ that He would rise again. How many know this morning, perhaps here, how many know what it's like to get the word of a loved one who's been in an accident or perhaps who has received a terminal diagnosis from a doctor and they say it's not likely that they're going to pull through and there's nothing to do but to wait for the inevitable and, and, and just hope. And while every passing moment feels like a heavy, pressing weight on our chest, then we experience that which we dread most, and death comes. We say goodbye to the people that we love. Now I want you to imagine the experience of the disciples in Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem on that day of days when the broken, bloody, and lifeless body of Jesus Christ was taken off of the cross, wrapped and laid in a tomb. Friends, go there with me for a moment this morning, as best as we can. Darkness had fallen over the land, and it had fallen over their hearts. Imagine his mother Mary. You mothers in here, you can can somewhat identify with this. Imagine his mother Mary who watched her sinless son hang and bleed on this cross for six hours while the religious leaders mocked him as they walked by. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. Oh, friends, there is no doubt that in that moment, this broken-hearted mother remembered presenting her baby boy in the temple, eight days old, and hearing the words of the man of God, Simeon, in Luke 2, 34, when he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall 
and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. Friends, this mother, Mary, now, finally she understood the words of Simeon some 30 years earlier. A sword had pierced through her soul as she watched her son die. He was gone. Everyone who loved Jesus, they were disillusioned. How could it have ended this way? They thought their hope was gone. But Jesus never felt this hopelessness, friends. He didn't feel it like the people who loved them did. Look at verse 25. He says, through the mouth of the prophet, the king, David, he said, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue Rejoiced, my flesh also will, get these words, dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. The Hades, your translation may read hell, I don't know. Basically the grave, the abode of the dead. It's where we go when we're not here anymore. While we await that final resting place, Jesus said, You, Father, will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. No maggot will ever pierce the skin of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He knew that. He knew his father would not leave him in the grave. And so early in the morning darkness of the first day of the week, that same spirit that hovered over the formless waters of this globe at creation now hovered over the human body of the eternal Son of God and divine breath filled the lungs of the creator of the universe again. And friends, just so we're not confused about where Jesus was during those three days, while his body lay in the tomb, 1 Peter 3.18 says that he went and preached. (laughs) Isn't that something? Jesus, who was a preacher here on earth in his death while he awaited resurrection went and kept preaching 1 Peter 3.18 says that he preached to the spirits in prison to all the legions of hell that had been bound there from the beginning that the promised serpent crusher had finally come he had conquered and now he rules with all things under his feet And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter again quotes from the Psalms. 
This time, Psalm 110, in verse 34, when he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. As if the Father had said, I've got it from here. Everything that you did was accepted. The mission was accomplished. Now wait until I bring all things under subjection. Friends, this Jesus that was crucified by the hands of sinful, wicked men, was raised from death, and now rules at the right hand of His Father in glory. That is the Jesus we worship today. Not this corrupted Jesus that comes from the skeptical mind of fallible men that says, yes, maybe He was a prophet. Perhaps that's you here this morning. Perhaps you think, maybe He was a prophet Maybe, yes, he was a good teacher, a good ethical example. But he's no different than Gandhi or Muhammad. He certainly was not divine, even if he existed at all. Friends, go tell that to his empty tomb. He's not there anymore. And we will never... Find his bones. And friends, don't believe the conspiracy theories. There's no mass conspiracy by the Roman church to to cover up the buried body of Jesus. We don't have his body because he has it. (laughs) He's alive today. He was dwelling in hope in the tomb. He knew on Friday afternoon that Sunday was coming And so verse 36, Peter, as he gets to the the climax of his sermon, the point is preaching to the people who had murdered the Son of God, just as I am this morning. Verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel, let Pennsville know, let America know, let this world know for certain that God has made Him, who? This Jesus. Both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, whom we crucified. He is the Jesus we killed. He is the Jesus that God raised. And friends, lastly this morning, He is the Jesus that demands a response from us. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Friends, are you cut to the heart this morning? I am. I'm cut, shredded. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Dear friends, I don't know why. I don't know why each one of you have come here to this church today. Maybe you're one of our regular people. Maybe you're a visitor. Maybe someone invited you and you came. Maybe you came because it's Easter. 
thank you for coming. But dear friend, I want you to know this morning that you just cannot walk out of those doors back there unaffected by what you have heard and experienced here today. You will either sink further in your unbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ or you will feel his demand for a response to the person, to his person and work. It will weigh heavy on your heart. And you may be this morning, right now, at this very moment, like these Jews 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 2, and you may be saying inside, what shall I do? Teenager, forget the world. Your life is but a vapor compared to eternity. You need to ask the question this morning, what shall I do? But notice, dear friends, that Peter didn't, he didn't give an altar call. Have I just offended anybody? He didn't give an altar call. He didn't lead anybody in the sinner's prayer. But friends, he did call for a response. In verse 38, Peter said to them, One word, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Without distinction, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Friends, I want to say to you the same thing that Peter said in Jerusalem that day. Repent. In our home, we use an illustration. We just tell the kids to look for the U-turn sign on the road. Turn around. Stop going your way and go God's way. Go the way of Jesus. What shall it profit a man if he gain his own soul, Mark chapter 8, and lose his, gain, gain the world but lose his soul? You must follow Jesus Christ. You must confess your sinfulness and turn away from your sin. You must not only confess your sinfulness, dear friends, we must confess our self-righteousness. We must confess that which we have convinced ourselves with that we do not need a Savior. We must abandon that and flee Christ to this Jesus that God has raised up. Friends, don't believe in a Jesus of your imagination. In America right now, we are great at creating narratives. And we have created a narrative about the Son of God that is not this narrative.
Don't believe in a soft, harmless Jesus who would never judge anyone or send anyone to hell. Let me give you this Jesus, the one that the trembling Apostle John who witnessed his death and burial and resurrection, this Apostle John, the one that he describes in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, he says this, Then I saw heaven opened. Friends, look with me for a moment by faith as best we can into heaven. See it opened. See the words that that the, the, the Apostle John has penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See these words in our hearts and minds today. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and true, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. That's this Jesus. Let me read on. It's terrifying, isn't it? His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. That's crowns. There's so many his head can't even contain them. And John says he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. There's a reason, brothers and sisters, that myself and Adam Whipke Jr. walked into that baptistry this morning wearing white. This army that followed Jesus Christ was clothed, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. And following him, they were on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. All we you know we talk about being a sovereign nation. Friends, we don't know anything about sovereignty. This is sovereignty. This is the sword that will strike down every nation. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Friends, this is the end of the Bible. I'm not adding this to it. This isn't a Jesus that we find in Genesis or Leviticus or whatever, you know, whatever idea that we have about who the Son of God is. This is how the Bible ends. This is the lasting image that the Holy Spirit wants to burn into our hearts about the Son of God. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Get this. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty 
on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, this is the Jesus of Scripture. This is the Jesus that you are confronted with this morning, at this moment. This is the Jesus that we killed. This is the one that God raised up. And this is the Jesus that demands a response from us today. Oh, friends, trust in this Jesus right now. Let's pray.